Welcome to Face Your Fears, a podcast where we have courageous conversations about those things that scare us the most. My name is Liz, and I'm a yoga teacher, a life coach, and a community college professor. And I love having these meaningful conversations. And I love that this podcast brings together interesting people to have really brave conversations. Today is no exception. Today, I'm really excited to bring you here on the first day of 2019, a conversation between me and my dear, dear friends, Amanda Lipnack and Skye Mercer. We recorded this conversation back in 2018 about fears around body image and specifically what it's like to be a woman growing up in the United States in the 1970s, 80s, 90s. I think a lot of what we talk about here will resonate with so many of you. And I wanted to make sure that this podcast episode came out on January 1st, because of course, this is the time of year where so many of us feel tempted to rededicate ourselves in the new year to projects that involve making ourselves smaller, thinner, more conventionally attractive, so that somehow we will be good enough for the world. I offer this conversation to you today as a different way of thinking about the way that you move through the world, a different way of being. Because I really believe that what we look like has nothing to do with our value as a person. I believe that the cultural stew that we're growing young women up in today is really there to try to take advantage of our human insecurities and to try to profit off of them. And I just can't be okay with that. In this conversation, you're going to hear Amanda and Sky and I laugh a lot and talk a lot and connect a lot. But ultimately, the big takeaway here is there's more to life than trying to lose weight. There's so much more to life than trying to lose weight. And I'm here to tell you as a witness to this process that when you let go of that as your number one paradigm, your number one goal for your life, when you stop chasing weight loss, as a measure of your value as a human, the door opens up to do so many far more interesting things, to do far more meaningful things with your life. So I hope you love this conversation and I'll be back with you after we wrap up to tell you about a few new things that are coming from me and this podcast in 2019. So enjoy this conversation. Today, we're going to talk about fears around body image, body acceptance. Is that a problem for women? Oh, Oh, just kidding. Right. Just kidding. Maybe we don't need to talk about that. Problem solved. No problem. (laughs) That was the shortest podcast ever. (laughs) So maybe we want to start just by articulating a fear that each of us has felt around body. Mine's real simple is that I'm not pretty enough to be loved. You know, go big or go home. That's right. Yeah. It's all in. That's all in. Yeah. That's it. I'm not pretty enough to be loved. I'll never be enough because I don't look like the girls in the magazines. Mm. Yeah. Enough 
for anyone or myself. Okay. Hmm. See, I never even like looked at the girls in the magazines because that's just not even accept. That's not even attainable. So, right. like, I don't worry about like the swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated is the one that does that, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I, I'm just trying not to be like the unwantable ugly girl. Like, I'm not worried about being a supermodel. Like, that's, you know, that's not even there. Right. But I think that image of perfection is what is mm. kind of the root of the problem. So oh, sure. I think that not being able to be that at any level yeah. is what the issue is. Right? I mean, because if that wasn't shoved down our throats, I don't know that we would think about it. No. What about you, Liz? I think the fear that, I mean, I don't know how to articulate it quite as a fear, but it's this nagging sense that I've had for so much of my life that it's the if-then thinking. Once I lose weight, then... I can do these other things, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not even worth trying at this point because all my energy should be focused on losing weight. Oh, well, that's all that women are supposed to spend their time and energy on. Right. Two problems with that. One, the weight loss paradigm doesn't work. So sure. there's that. And two, it's all a mechanism about keeping people small. If yeah. all they're doing is spending their time and energy trying to lose weight, they can't do anything else. Right. I think about the years of my life I have lost. Uh-huh. Oh, we all have. I oh, mean, yeah. if you know, if you talk to any female mm-hmm. that we associate with, they will tell you the same thing. And what's amazing to me is that most men that I talk to don't know that. They don't know how many years we've spent on multiple diets. And when you tell them, they're so shocked. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's like almost like a silent shame. Mm-hmm. And we don't even share it with each other a lot of the time, too. We do, because I think we're on the journey to waking. We are on the journey. Waking. <laughs> Body diversity exists. Right. <laughs> Fat phobia exists, and it's bad. And, like, I think that a lot of people are naive to it. And they're naive to what we're actually doing to ourselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's still a lot of people that we associate with that are dieters mm-hmm. and that judge for not dieting. I heard a, a nutritionist or I read something that a nutritionist wrote and she's a um, intuitive eating weight neutral nutritionist. And she said something that just blew my mind. She said, I have never met people. I've never met harder working people than dieters. Yeah. So true. So true. Because for so much of my life, I always felt like every time a diet failed, it was because I was lazy Mm -hmm. and I was stupid and Mm -hmm. I didn't care. And if I just loved myself, then I'd lose weight. And if I just focused, oh my God, I don't think I focused on anything in my entire life as much as I focused on trying to lose weight by like orders of magnitude. Right. So true. I I have a college degree. Didn't spend nearly as much time on my college studies as I did on trying to lose weight. Absolutely. I have a pretty successful career, again, because when you're trying to lose weight, it's every minute of every day, and every morning you wake up going, today I'll be good. Right. And then at the end of the day, if you have not been good, then it's a whole period of berating yourself. But tomorrow, I'll be good. Or if you were good, whatever good meant for that version of the diet, and there's been times when it's been like grapefruit and water, or not eating at all. Which is socially acceptable, by the way. Oh, sure. All and applauded. Yes. Oh, applauded. Not just acceptable. Applauded. Applauded. Yep. It's a good point. I had a conversation with somebody about 
nine months ago where I, I made the statement and it was it blew this person's mind and but I, it is true there have been so many times in my life where if you did not see me physically and I merely described to you my behaviors and what I ate you would say my god that woman is anorexic and should be in a program right but I've never been anorexic looking but I've starved myself yeah. Absolutely. There was a period of time where I would I would exercise four hours a day and eat seven hundred calories a day. And you'll be shocked to know I didn't lose weight. Right. Have you read The Beauty Myth? Yes. I haven't. It is an excellent read. I wish it was read in every middle school mm. in America. It's devastating and shocking. And mm-hmm. that's basically the premise is that the unattainable standard of beauty that is placed on women and it's specific to they speak primarily the U.S., mm-hmm. um, is a form of oppression. Oh, it is. The most abusive relationships I have had in my life have been focused on in and around weight. Yeah. Relationships with medical providers, relationships yeah. with family, relationships with partners. Yeah. That has been the most abusive, the most abusive relationships I've been in. Would you say a relationship with yourself? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was almost unstated. Yeah, yeah no, that, that, that's just the given. That's just how that, that started from the beginning. It's definitely the most abusive I've ever been to myself. It's how, starving. How old were you guys when you went on your first diet? Eight. Eight years old. My thighs were fatter than my friends. We were sitting in the car, listening to Motley Crue, driving on Highway 2 in Monroe, Washington, and I thought to myself, you're fat, Sky." you should not eat the canned ravioli at so-and-so's house that you're about to go to. Mm-hmm. So don't do it. Because you need to look like the girls in the Motley Crue video that right. you saw on MTV at Grandma's right. that you're driving back from right now. Right. <laughs> so I remember distinctly the moment I thought I was too, quote-unquote, fat. Mm-hmm. And that fat is evil. And fat's bad. Fat's evil can't be that. That's the worst thing you could be. What's that survey that they have of elementary school girls, and I'm probably going to brutally misquote it, but they talk about how they would rather, like, there are a multitude of things they'd rather have happen. Oh, yeah. Kidnapping, rape, than to be fat. Fat. Because that is, like, the worst thing that they're taught to be. But how about you, first diet? I can't remember how old I was, because, as we all know, I have a terrible memory. But... I remember well my mother taking me to Weight Watchers with her. Mm-hmm. And not, I don't think she did it because she thought I needed to join Weight Watchers. She took me because <clears throat> I was just going with her. And when I said, oh, I want to do this too, because I thought it was cool. She was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. It's healthy. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Right. And so, you know, I, I know that I was, it had to be middle school. It had to be. Amanda, how about you? Six. My parents put me on a diet. Six years old. Um, when I was four years old, my parents split up, and I my world fell apart, as one does when you're four years old. Do you remember old. that? Being put on a diet, or when my parents split up? Either, both. Both. I, I can tell you exactly what the plate of food looked like that I was eating when my parents told me they were splitting up. Wow. To the degree if I could tell you how much milk was in my blue flowered sour cream glass. Like I can see it as clear as I can see what's on the table in front of us. Um, and I started eating to soothe myself because I was devastated. Yeah. And I had all these feelings and no one quite knew what to do with them. 
And it was the late 70s, and you didn't talk about kids' feelings. The, the kids' feelings didn't matter. So now I was six years old when I was put on my first diet. So I don't want to spend a lot of time wallowing yeah. in, the, in the disaster that is diet culture. And what I'd really love to do is talk about how each of us has managed to get to this place hmm. where we've sort of begun to claw our way out of diet culture to a place where we can be a little more objective and detached from it. I'd like to start by saying I have a lot of privilege because I am quote unquote normal sized. So I would like to acknowledge that, that to me, I believe that made it easier for me Mm -hmm. because I have a lot of privilege. I had to stop punishing myself. And I know that people say, don't prescribe coaching over therapy, blah, 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 blah. But the point of the matter is, and I think you both know this, that I'd been to doctors, I'd been put on medications for eating disorder, I had been to psychiatrists, I had been to psychologists, I had done every diet, non-diet in the world, and what saved me was November of 2015, Isabel Foxen's Duke's program, which is aimed at people with binge eating disorder, Stop Fighting Food. Mm -hmm. And she is an uber-feminist, and that spoke to my heart, that this isn't just a sky issue, this is a culture issue, and I should be pissed about it, and I should work on unwinding it for myself, and she changed my life. And I honestly, I owe it to her, Jess Baker, Virgie Tovar, the women who are speaking out against this, not as a individual issue, but as a social justice issue. It is a social justice issue. In 2013, I know I've talked to both of you about this, like I talk about my breakdown of 2013. It was right when I turned 40 years old and I had spent, I spent about two years really working on losing weight and I, I lost a fair bit of weight. And I was probably as fit as I've ever been, and I was probably among, probably as close as the smallest I've ever been as an adult. And I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I hated myself with such deep passion. I thought I was a toxic person. I thought I was the worst person in the world. And I worked with a coach as well, and I've been to every therapist. I've been on weight loss drugs. I mean, you name it, I've done it. And I started working with Rachel Cole. And one day she said to me, what if you never dieted again? And I was like, like record scratch. Wait, wait, what? Is that a possibility? (laughs) I didn't know. I remember when I got married for the first time and I had my fitting for my wedding dress and the seamstress said to me, you cannot lose weight. And I went, no one in my life had ever said to me, you can't lose weight. And I was probably close to the biggest I've ever been at that point. I couldn't lose weight because then it would screw up my wedding dress. And sure. But like the idea that someone could say to me, what if you didn't spend your time trying to lose weight? And the ways in which I have learned to love myself by stopping trying to lose weight, that doesn't mean I have perfect body image every day. There's a lot of days where I'm like, I'm still steeped in this cultural stew of thin is pretty and good and fat is ugly and bad. But it's not. Oh, also, that thin is healthy, fat is unhealthy. Right. Um, There's a billion-dollar industry. I mean, $17 billion industry riding on you believing that. Every time someone says they're going on Weight Watchers, well, you know, it's a a lifestyle, and it's a really good program, and I want to say, 
to everyone who tries it, like, what attempt at Weight Watchers is this for you? I can tell you, for me, it's I've tried probably Weight Watchers like 20 or 25 times in my right, life. Right. Joined, unjoined, unjoined, unjoined. And I want to say, if it worked, they would go out of business. Yes. Like, this is... If Weight Watchers worked, it is the shittiest business model ever. Because why are you going to do something that then no one could ever use again? But so every two years, they redo their program, and then it's... It's fresh and free points and Uber po- I don't even know what the hell. I mean, people talk about these things, and I'm like, <sighs> I'm done. I've heard Summer Inanen quote it as 95% fail rate. So 5% oh, yeah. of people, maybe it's a little big quote, I don't know. 5% of people will be able to keep the weight off for five or more years. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst business model. But it's the most successful business model it is. if you feed primarily females the... Right hate speech right <laughs> you should hate yourself come back to weight watchers but right <laughs> right i hope you really hate yourself and you can't stand your body and so now if you come to weight watchers you'll be good and then you have people like oprah yeah oprah broke my heart with yeah, that one yeah. but for, but she's like a prime example for as successful yeah. as she has been she's still not good enough unless she's thin nope. in her right. own mind in her own mind she wants to else's. live her best yeah. life and she can't do that if she's until fat until she loses weight right yeah. Everything she's done. No, and she's no. one of our most successful role models right. in terms yeah. of a female person of power. Yeah. Yeah. So. The moment for me. For you. Yeah, the moment for me. When I met Doug seven years ago, I was trying to lose weight. Of course, because that's what women do. Because I was always trying to lose right. weight. But I was pretty actively engaged in it. And maybe four or five months into that relationship, I said, Doug, here's the thing. No matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be a different size than this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always going to have this rough shape. And I need to know that you're okay with that because I would have to literally stop doing everything else that I do and stop caring about everything else I care about to substantially change my size. And I would be miserable Mm -hmm. and he said well I don't want you to be miserable I said okay then this is what we're doing and then probably four years ago three years ago I read Kelsey Miller's book Big Girl Mm -hmm. and I don't even think I realized what it was about yeah but I liked the cover Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um it sounded funny and I started reading it and I remember I was on a trip I was in St. Louis for some reason, when I read most of it. And I was like, holy shit. What? Like, you cannot diet? Yeah. That's a thing? That's a that's an option? Right. I, I could not believe it. I was calling Doug and I'm like, you have to read this book. Like, I really need you to read this book. Did he? No. Okay. <laughs> he tried. Okay. He did try. Okay. He read like, Probably 20 pages. And okay. he's like, I don't think this is for me. I don't think I'm its target audience. Oh, no, he absolutely <laughs> is. This is his target audience. <laughs> Certainly true. Whatever. Yeah. And so from there, like, it was like the veil had been lifted. And I just started looking around myself. And I was like, this is not. Everything that I thought that was true is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then I found Rachel Cole. And I found Amanda. Yeah. And 
Do you remember the time you gained? I distinctly yes. remember the time. Oh, yeah. I couldn't believe it for that first year how yeah. much more time I had. Yeah. I actually was bored for one of the first times in my life because I didn't have enough hobbies to fill the time. That I'd spent trying to lose weight. For counting calories and macros and, and appointments. Exercising. And tracking. exercising as punishment. Right. right. And tracking and... And menu planning, and, and oh my mental, god! And then the amount of time you spent beating, beating, yourself, beating yourself up. up. It was just the—I mean, that was the the most the biggest time suck, yeah. right? Like, you know what I also found <laughs> interesting? Like around the time that I I started working with Rachel and had this idea of like, oh, what if what if being fat isn't bad? I remember I I made the conscious decision to stop commenting on people's bodies. Yes, and I started oh. to realize. There were conversations I didn't know how to have. Yeah. Because what are we going to talk about right. if we're not talking about our diet, how fat we feel, how fat we feel. By the way, if you can't feel fat, it, it's not a feeling. Right. Happy is a feeling. Sad is a feeling. Joyous is a feeling. Bliss is a feeling. Fat is not a feeling. Um, it is if you're a brilliant marketer. It is if you're a brilliant marketer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. Let's, let's, that guy made a lot of money. Um, but yeah, to realize I need to start figuring out how to engage with my friends mm-hmm. in and around things that weren't around diets. And I have a couple of girlfriends and we have a, a pretty constant like three-way text message going. And I realized the number of times I didn't engage in the conversation yes. anymore yes. because and so was- many of the conversations were like, I just killed my workout. I'm like, so, um, Yeah. I was worried I was going to lose my friends. Yeah. Oh, and I worried about it too. come toe to toe a couple of times where it was, I don't believe in that. Yeah. And it was, it is, when you say that to someone who's steeped in diet, a female who's steeped in diet culture, she will look at you like you just killed her firstborn child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, no matter who they are, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you know, I looked at people that way friends. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before I, before right. I made the turn, you're right. just giving up. Yeah. Oh, I'm giving just giving up. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Giving up on life. I'll never be happy. No one will ever love me. Clearly the reason I'm still single at 45 is because I'm fat. Clearly. That's it. Yeah, it's just not. Because no decent man would ever love someone who's overweight. Let's just be clear about that. Right. Yeah, it's so not true. It's not true. Um, And as much trouble as I've had meeting someone in my life, my thin friends have had just as much trouble meeting someone in their life. I say as I look at my as my girl I look at my girl Sky right next to me. Yeah. Well, I you know I think what you said, Sky, is so true. And what I found, it's not just the time; it's the stress and the mm-hmm. emotional bandwidth. Like mm-hmm. I have time now; I have the emotional bandwidth to care about things that actually matter. Mm-hmm. I'm a better girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I'm a better teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a better friend. I'm a better writer. And live a more fulfilling life because I'm not spending hours a day worried about whether, you know, eating an oatmeal cream pie is going to make me a bad person. Yeah. I discovered I had emotional bandwidth to actually feel feelings. Yeah. Right. Because I never Beyond felt disgust. feelings. Beyond disgust and self-hatred, I now had the time to feel feelings. Oh, and oh, by the way, when I felt feelings the way I wasn't, the way I no longer dealt with it was by shoving as much food down my gullet as possible because I didn't want to feel feelings because all my feelings were I hated myself because right. I was fat. It, it's real insidious. <laughs> yes. It is. It's, it's a real 
bad cycle. So the positives, more time to feel feelings, mm-hmm. more time, more time, more. So I, I care about myself a lot more than I did when I yes, was Yes, for I sure. Oh, yeah. So for example, if I go for a walk, it's not because I'm punishing myself. It's because I've either gamified and I want to compete against people and win. <laughs> right. Which or, is fun. Which is fun. Right. It's a social win. activity. But it's because it helps me manage stress. Mm-hmm. Like it makes me. Or it feel makes your better. body feel good. I yes. feel better. Um, and if I don't go, I don't care. Like mm-hmm. if I miss a workout, or if I miss—I don't even call it a workout. If I miss joyful movement, yeah, it's that's what it is. You know, it's got to be something I enjoy. Then I don't care. It doesn't matter to me if I yeah. missed it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, life is more fulfilling. I think I'm kinder to myself. I mm-hmm. have more time. I'm living in alignment with more of my feminist values. Mm-hmm. There's so many positives to giving up this negative thing. I'm curious what each of you, if you could go back to your like teenage self, Oof. what would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is she would never believe me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the first thing that yeah. comes to because she is surrounded by every person above her, below her and around her saying that you must do this. And you're bad if you don't. Right. So yeah. I, I mean, what would I, I say? Yeah, I, I, that's true. I don't think any words I would have said to me would have, would have done it. I mean, I wish... <laughs> I wish many things had been said to me, but I wish those things had been said to me starting at three or four. Right. And I'm not going to feel one ounce of anything. No. It's po- mainly positive while I'm eating it. I'm going to eat till I'm full. Yeah. One thing that I found really fascinating is that I'm really focusing on eating until I feel satisfied. Yeah. And then the, comp- the comments people make when you push a half uneaten plate of food away like it shocks people but at the same time i'm like i know in your mind you're looking at me going well if you would just control what you're eating and you lose like right like it's this weird thing so i want to talk yeah about how you manage any anger you might feel towards other people who are still parroting the diet culture language because i feel this all the time I, my office looks out over our conference table mm-hmm. for our department and people will bring like donuts or cookies or brownies or whatever. And that means that I have to watch every coworker come by and say, oh, I don't want to be bad. Oh, I'm trying to be good. And it makes me furious. Yeah. And many times I've said, food does not make you good or bad. Eat the damn cookie. Food is neutral. Right. And food like, is purely neutral. It's it's like if you want the cookie, eat the cookie. Right. Because you're gonna eat it. You're gonna regardless. eat it regardless. So you can eat it with a side dish of berating and judgment. Judgment. Or you can just eat the damn cookie and, and go to your office and finish working. Move on. Well again, it's a brilliant marketing move when you moralize. Food. Oh yeah. Sure. So you are bad by my product because it'll make you good again. Right. Yeah. Um for me, I try to remember, with varying degrees of success, I try to remember the people who are still so steeped in that are still so steeped in a place of self-hate. Mm-hmm. And I try to have grace and empathy for them. Um, I do too. It's hard. Yeah. And particularly if people make comments about how I should be living my life differently, I get real angry. 
But I really try to remember that's their story and not mine. And I'm happy. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Me too. You know, I've released a lot of the anger. I used to feel really mad about the good, bad Mm. thing. I've dealt with a lot of it. I still get upset by it, you know, especially when it's someone I care about and they're saying that. But um, in the moment now, I lightly say, food doesn't make you good or bad. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like, I'm like, really? You're not bad or good by this food choice. Right. You are you. (laughs) And I kind of make a joke out of it. And it does, I think, sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes people look at me again like I murdered their firstborn child. (laughs) Right. How dare you? But then other times people go, you know, you see a little glimpse of, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not bad. <laughs> right. That's Every just, once in a while. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that's been interesting to me as I've been on this intuitive eating journey are the times that I walk past those things. Yeah. Like, people will bring cookies to work, and I know I don't care for that kind of cookie, and I don't feel compelled to eat it because, oh, my God, what if I never have another cookie right. again? It's like, oh, I don't really actually care for that. Yeah. You enjoy it. Great. Yeah, and I find that that's so much easier on the other side. Mm-hmm. Like, part of the journey is giving yourself permission to eat all of the cookies. Mm-hmm. And then once you realize, they're still going to be there. Like, you can always go buy a cookie. Right. It's not now or never. Then, like, the desire for it just falls right on out. Right. I remember when I, I first started intuitive eating, and I was working with Coach Rachel Cole again, and... And she said, go, whatever it is that you really want to eat, go buy it. And for me, it was double stuff Oreos. And I bought them, and I probably inhaled a bag in about a day. And I felt terrible, because there was a whole lot of Oreos in one sitting, and I didn't feel good. And You, you felt physically. Physically, yeah. It wasn't emotionally. Emotional. There was still a bit of an emotional tinge, because this was right. brand new. But, like, no, I physically felt terrible. Yeah. And then she's like, go buy another bag. And I'm like, but I'll eat them all. She's like, okay. And kept doing it. And I remember a couple weeks in, I realized there was a bag of open double stuff Oreos in my cap- my cupboard. I hadn't eaten them in days. And then like two weeks later, I threw them out because they were totally stale. Right. Do you remember the moment when you realized that food scarcity didn't exist in your privileged world? <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> Do you mean, remember that moment? Because yeah. I was like, Todd, you know, you can't have those. Those aren't going to be around forever. And then you actually look at like people who really don't have food and you're like... I've been living in a mindset that I can't have these things and they're not around. And that's not true. It's not true. The other thing I remember is when, um, about my family has a house in Canada and about two years ago, as I was leaving, I went to the grocery store and got, um, some Cadbury chocolates cause they have different, they have like all the British <laughs> candy bars that we don't necessarily have access to here. And I bought like a couple bags of each of them and I was cleaning out my cupboard maybe six months ago and all but two candy bars were still there. Yeah. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, because there's a time in my life when I was in deep in diet land, I would have inhaled those because, oh, my God, when am I ever going to have these again? And now I'm like, huh, I wonder if they're still good. Yeah. I mean, they're they're two years old. Like, do these things go bad? I don't don't know. There is one thing I wanted to say because it was mind-blowing for me, and it ties into what you're saying. So the reason that the double stuffed Oreos and the Cadbury chocolate couldn't live in the house with me 
isn't because of being bad, isn't because these foods are like heroin, they're so tempting. Oh, yeah. the, the, they stimulate the same part of my brain, sugar does. No, it was because I was starving myself. Oh, yeah. I was engaging in starvation behaviors, which most dieters do. They don't listen to their body, and they're eating a caloric intake that is not healthy. So the reason I was binging, the reason I couldn't let the food sit in the cabinet is because of the starvation. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that, when Isabel Fox and Duke brought that up, you're binging because you're starving. You're not eating enough. I I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. You mean this whole time, all these medical professionals I went to see, you know, one that actually gave me a prescription that makes you starve yourself more. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't... One of them didn't say the reason I can't stop inhaling food is because I'm hungry. Right. <laughs> right. Whoa. Whoa. Mind. Whoa. Time out. Broke my brain. I right. couldn't believe Wait, it. Wait, when you're hungry, you can't stop eating. Right. And when you're, and it goes even further than that, which huh. you two know because you're woke on this journey, is your body kicks into oh, starvation yeah. Yeah. response. Binging is actually human biology. This is, into order. this is evolution working. Right. Because you've been in starvation mode. I just yeah. wanted to share that because it was just, if it oh, was yeah. one person realized that the reason they can't stop eating all the things is because they're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and they're starving. <laughs> it's like earlier I was telling you, my geology professor said, don't buy a house on the top of a hill because gravity always wins. <laughs> if you stop eating, hunger will always win. Yes. Like, there's a reason our species is still alive. There's right. a survival instinct there that that's... And it's because your body eventually will demand food. Yep. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's real hard. And also will hold on to every ounce of everything you have because it's like... Oh my God, we're starving. Right. Yeah. So I think of all the times where I was like, I only ate 500 calories today. So I, like, right. But why haven't I lost any weight in a month? Well, because my body's like, oh my God, we're going down. We're mad moments from being Rose and Jack on the door in the North Atlantic. Like we're going down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like how you can't, Kill yourself by just not breathing. Right. Eventually you're going to breathe. Your body will kick in. And it's the same thing with eating. Like, eventually you're going to eat. Yeah. Whether you want to or not. That's right. And often it's going to be a binge because your body is so stressed to the max. Yeah. And, and you're hungry. Of that, I am really hungry. <laughs> dig into yeah, let's go have our dinner now. <laughs> like people who eat when they're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to, before we wrap up and eat our delicious Chinese food, um, we've mentioned a few resources. But yeah. apart from what we've mentioned, um, what is a resource recommendation that you would give to someone who's like brand new to this concept? Weight neutral self care. Look into the concept of caring for yourself in weight neutrality. I loved when I was looking at your planner just to check out what your planner looked like. The number of times I saw weight neutral self care. Um, Where is there like is that like a thing? Yeah. So like I th- I think it's I, th- I think it's been introduced to me by, by Linda Bacon. I think okay. is I think in terms of caring for yourself with no tie to weight. No connection to weight. Like if we Googled weight neutral self-care, right. would we find stuff? I think so. Okay. Um, 
It's so, got to be on Pinterest. Everything's on Pinterest. Right. Probably so. It probably Everything's is. on Pinterest. I'm not on Pinterest. But thinking no. about caring for yourself in My a point. non-punishing way, in yeah. a, a nurturing way, a you an unconditional way. Yeah. You mm-hmm. don't have to be or look a certain way, and I'm going to care about you anyway, buddy. Right. <laughs> um, for me, the number one resource would be the intuitive eating book. Yeah. Um, that was a total game changer for me. And I've read it a couple of times. I've done some reading groups for it. Liz, when you and I met, we did a whole class around it. Mm-hmm. And every time I read it, it, I learn more and I learn more. And it has been a huge part of my journey to learn to not only like myself, but love myself. Yeah. You? I'm going to put a plug in for yoga. Yeah. And especially Anna Gastelli's book, yes, Curvy Yoga. Yeah. Absolutely. And basically everything she does. I mean, you guys mm-hmm. know that I'm a huge fan. She taught me to be a yoga teacher. Mm-hmm. And she's a friend. But she's also, like in her book, Curvy Yoga, she talks about how she, you know, has been on 47 or something diets. And, you know, how yoga has really given her a toehold into her body mm-hmm. in a way that becomes much more useful and intuitive and... You know, you you mentioned joyful movement. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just think that yoga is a really great practice for connecting to your body's wisdom and learning to trust and listen to that. So yeah. that's the that's the resource that I like to recommend. Well, thanks for the convo, ladies. Thank you. Let's have some Chinese food. Woo-woo. When I was putting this episode together and listening back to that conversation with Amanda and Sky, I got so nostalgic for these two women who are really my soul sisters. I feel like they know me better than sometimes I even know myself. So I'm so, so, so grateful to them and excited for you to hear that conversation. Here we are at the start of 2019 and I know we're all thinking about what this year could hold for us as we start to move forward and imagine the 12 months ahead of us. In the year ahead, I hope to continue this podcast and I've been reaching out to some friends, some different voices, people who are not life coaches, to talk to you about how fear is showing up in their lives. If you'd like to join the conversation, please reach out to me. You can get my information at www.liznorell.com. I'd love to have you here on this podcast to talk about what fear means in your life. The other really exciting thing that I'm going to be rolling out in the, in the month ahead in January is an online book club, kind of, I'm calling it the Better You in 2019 project. And this is a companion to some work that I'm doing in Chattanooga this year through the incredible nonprofit group, The Chattery. So at The Chattery, if you happen to be local to Chattanooga or relatively local to Chattanooga, um, we'll be running a monthly book club where we'll be reading a book and getting together once a month to talk about it. And it's all kind of in that personal development realm. But because I know so many of you are not local to Chattanooga, I'm also going to be doing an online companion to that. And you'll start to see some information about that roll out at the first of the year. Essentially, it's going to be a secret and private Facebook group where you can connect with other women who are following along on this journey for the year. 
and there will be options for you to add on some coaching, some one-on-one coaching with me to support the work that we're doing in each month. So each month we'll have a theme. We're going to start with a little self-exploration, kind of finding our place and finding our goals for this year-long process. And then we'll dive into some Enneagram stuff. We're, we're going to read Luna's book, The Crossroads of Should and Must. So I'm really excited to bring this resource to you. And you'll be able to find all the information about that on my website at www.lizmorel.com. I also want to make sure that I capture this moment to remind you that our Harbor Retreat in March 2019 still has just a couple of slots available. We're filling up but we do have a couple of slots left and Katie and I would love to welcome you. We'll be down on Harbor Island in South Carolina. I was there over Christmas and I'm here to tell you it is so secluded and private, quiet and gorgeous. And the house we're staying in is just beautiful. So we'll be retreating there for a weekend. We have a really amazing group of women already committed and we're just going to be doing some yoga, eating great food, having conversation, laughing, connecting, sharing our creative pursuits or our ideas for creative pursuits, but then also having plenty of time for alone time, introspection, reading, writing, whatever you want to do, napping, walking. There'll be lots and lots of opportunities for you to really make this retreat what you most need it to be. So for information on that, again, you can go to my website or you can go to uh, my Facebook page at Liz Morrell Yoga. All right, everybody, I'll be back with you next week with another awesome conversation. I can't wait for you to hear this one. And in the meantime, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.